Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome again to Revive the Drive. It is a joy to be able to talk with you about different issues in the church and how God's Word affects our understanding of those issues. And today we're talking about the Lord's Supper, communion. And in my life, I have partaken of the Lord's Supper in many different places and using many different modes. I've been in Bosnia, took the Lord's Supper with a 100-year-old man and used an old wooden cup full of wine and some stale bread. I've partaken of it using crackers and grape juice. Currently at our, our facility, we use kind of like a space-age communion cup. We don't, we don't have a, a building that we own, and so they've asked us to not use a lot of food and stuff. So we have like a little, the top layer has this, uh, it's it's supposed to be bread. It kind of tastes like styrofoam a little bit and then some some juice. But that's still the Lord's Supper, isn't it? it we're still partaking of, of the Lord's cup and bread. But, but what is communion? What does it mean? And why do we participate in it, Rich? Yeah, you know, the Lord Jesus connected uh, communion back to the Passover Supper. That's how he started. He initiated it. Uh, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, uh, he took out bread, and he took out a cup, a cup of wine, and and he gathered his disciples around for the last meal that he would have with them prior to his his death on the cross. And Jesus was very cognizant of the meaning of his death. It wasn't a, sort of a, a tragic injustice. It was part of the redemptive plan of God from before the creation of the world that Jesus would die as the sacrificial lamb, the one who would take upon himself uh, our sins in his body um, and suffer underneath the righteous response of God, the wrath of God for us. And so he took, gathered his disciples around, and he gave them two symbols that would help them to understand the meaning of his death and to remember the meaning of his death, both of which are, are central to the Christian life. Uh, first, that we as believers would grow in a deeper and deeper understanding of the atoning work of Jesus on our behalf. I don't think we could ever come to a point in our life where we say, I understand it, and I don't need to think about it any more deeply, mm. but that constantly believers who are maturing are growing in the depth of their appreciation and understanding of the Lord's Supper, or excuse me, of Jesus' work on the cross. And also the Lord's Supper not only helps us to think about it and to understand it, but it helps us to remember it, you know, that, that we tend to be a people who quickly forget very important aspects about God's character and his plan and his provision for us. And so the basic meaning of the Lord's Supper is just that. Uh, it's, the, it's the message and the ministry of Jesus on the cross for us, helping us to understand, think about the cross and the atonement, and remember it. And proclaim it in, the, in, that, in that remembrance. There's a mm -hmm. proclamation element that we see in 1 Corinthians, that passage you've, mm -hmm. you've alluded to, where he says, as, as we take this, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he returns. Art, how does how does that work to proclaim Christ's death through communion? Well, it reminds us that Christ has died for our sins. There's no, uh, it's no mistake that Jesus was crucified at the time of the Passover because Scripture says that he has become for those who believe their Passover. Uh, in the Old Testament account of the Passover, God's uh, um, death came to all of the firstborn uh, who did not have the blood spread on the, the doorpost of their dwelling. And by participating in the, the new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the blood covering us. And so we proclaim that when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, that Jesus Christ has become our Passover. He is our substitute. He has taken upon himself the wrath of God uh, so that we might go free, just as they did in the Old Testament. And God loves to use symbols, doesn't he, to communicate to us uh, biblical truth. And, uh, and, and Jesus uh, was so clear about what specifically these symbols represent. And when he gave him bread and he broke it, he says, this is my body, it's broken for you. Um, and then when he gave the cup out, he said, this is a symbol of my blood. This is my blood. Uh, it's the blood of the new covenant. Uh, which mm. is shed, uh, poured out for the for the uh, forgiveness of sins, mm. and so Jesus very clearly gave us not just a symbol but the meaning behind the symbol as well. And so, you know, it's interesting how um, symbols communicate message in powerful ways, and that, that's right. part of the po- proclamation. So, you know, I grew up in the church, and I was always very curious about the. The wafer and the little little cup, and really wanted to participate mm-hmm. in that more out of just the ability to get a cracker and a little bit of juice when I was a little boy. But it did cause me to think deeply about well, what? Why do they do that? Yeah. What is the bread? What is the cup? And there was a proclamation to me as a child that helped me to understand the gospel. The early church was accused of various things. One of the things that people suspected them of was like cannibalism or something. They said they're eating flesh. That was an image that the Jews found offensive too. In in John chapter 6, Jesus describes himself as the bread of life. He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And then he says, I'm the living bread in verse 51 that, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Why, as you think about the symbolic aspect of the Lord's Supper, why does he, why do we eat it as well? Why do we eat and drink? And that's very good to connect the act of eating and drinking to the symbol as well, because the symbol is not just the bread and just the cup. Right. Because you could have just a loaf of bread and you know a cup up uh, on the uh, near the pulpit in right. the front of a church and say this helps us to remember Christ. Exactly. But, but it's the eating and the drinking of it that's part of the symbol, indicating that the provision of God through Jesus Christ has to be individually appropriated, received, yeah. and received in such an intimate may that, uh, way that it becomes part of us. Right. And so it's it's a union, you know, with Jesus Christ, so that that bread and that that uh, uh, that juice that we take in, it becomes literally a part of us. Mm-hmm. So it's it's inseparable from mm-hmm. us at some, on a biological level. 
And, and that's a symbol of, of Christ becoming so much a part of us, that we are in Christ, Christ is in us. Yeah. There's this mysterious union that we have with him and that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And maybe one element that's in there as well that's harder to grasp sometimes the way that we partake of communion is uh, the idea of joyful satisfaction in Christ as well. You know, he's, he's the bread of, of heaven that comes down and, and satisfies as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, uh, that helps us to understand more also why the Apostle Paul gave the church in Corinth such a strong warning mm-hmm. about uh, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. You know, as we discuss this topic, it's, it, it's important for us to observe that it's possible for us to actually do spiritual damage to our persons mm. by taking the Lord's Supper. Or mm. uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, uh, it appears that what was happening in Corinth that Paul was uh, addressing was that uh, they were coming together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but they were doing it in a haphazard fashion, very un- uh, uncaring about one another, um, even coming drunk, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. And it reminds us that uh, this is a very serious uh, celebration that we partake in, as Rich, as you've said, that we are actually uh, in the, one of the most intimate ways participating in Christ's death and waiting expectantly until he comes again. And so, um, and, and so we, we call our people to, to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. I've had people ask me, well, what then is the best way for me to prepare myself for that celebration? Um, and, and I remember meeting a fella uh, years ago who was preparing on Saturday for celebrating the Lord's Supper the next day, and I was very humbled by his uh, intentional preparation. He said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to read something that uh, stirs my mind uh, towards uh, my own sin and my own need for cleansing, and it's going to help me to realize that as I celebrate this, that I too have been cleansed through Christ's death. I have participated in his death, and I joyfully look forward to his return. And so we encourage folks to uh, not just uh, come to church on Sunday and think about it at that moment, but even to begin that preparation the week prior. Uh, we at our churches tend to celebrate communion, uh, the Lord's Supper, on a, on a specific Sunday of the month, and that gives our people an opportunity to prepare their hearts so that they can take it in a worthy manner. So when would a person, should a person not take the Lord's Supper. How would you counsel those who are coming to church and it's Communion Sunday? Uh, when would you encourage a person not to take the bread or the cup? Well, I think if Paul calls it taking the cup in an unworthy manner. And in, in 1 Corinthians, what he's talking about there is where there's a selfishness and division and instead of this idea, instead of coming together to proclaim their unity in Christ through His death and resurrection, they're uh, they're proclaiming their own worth and their own mm-hmm. greatness, and so it's it's becomes an instrument of division instead of unity. And so, if a if a person is in unrepentant sin, uh, committed to committed to a, a path of sin, that's a clearly an indication that they should not partake of the Lord's Supper at that moment in time. And that doesn't mean that a person needs to. Uh, leave the church and, and get everything uh, in their life completely in order before they <laughs> before they're able to participate mm-hmm. in the Lord's Supper, but it means that in that time of preparation, 
asking for forgiveness, committing to repentance, and saying, look, as soon as I have the opportunity to do so, I'm going to, to work at restoring relationship. I've had people say to me, well, I didn't celebrate communion last Sunday because my heart was filled with uh, anger or sin or unforgiveness. And I tell them, what better time to celebrate the Lord's Supper than that, to confess that sin, to repent of it, and to celebrate the symbol by which you've been cleansed. And so, um, you know, when people are left with hardness in their heart, I tell them that's exactly the time that they should prepare their hearts to receive that symbol. Yeah, we, we don't merit the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper. Right. The, the very symbols mm. uh, reflect to us that it's, this is not on the basis of merit, but it's on the basis of a humble heart asking God to provide for us something that we can't provide for ourselves. That's good. Um, so how often should uh, a church celebrate the Lord's Supper? That's a practical question you may think about. They should do it the third Sunday of every month. That's <laughs> really the biblical model. <laughs> well. Again, there's no. This is very similar to our conversation on baptism, right? Because like baptism, we would say that the Lord's Supper doesn't save us, and like baptism, though, we would say a person is in disobedience if they're not partaking of the Lord's Supper. And I think you guys would agree that it's essential for our spiritual health to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I think sometimes people don't think about that application yeah. of this, and so. So practically, you know, how, how often is, is it necessary to, to partake of the Lord's Supper? Scripture doesn't give us a chapter and verse, but I, our church does do it once a month. And I think another important thing to consider here is that you need not um, necessarily every time be in a worship service in order to participate in the Lord's Supper. For example, you can go and, and take communion to a an older mm-hmm. saint that may be housebound or mm-hmm. someone in the hospital, and and partake of the Lord's Supper together in, in that uh, locale as well. And and uh, you know the the idea is to take it often enough where we are remembering uh, the Lord and we're not forgetting. And uh, you know one of the reasons why perhaps a church might not take it every Sunday is because. The danger is of such a frequent ritual. Mm-hmm. That's a danger, and it's certainly not a condemnation of any church that would exactly. celebrate mm-hmm. every week. But, but that is a danger for us that we want to uh, protect our heart against. Whether it's one month, once a month, or once every week, or once every quarter, that we'd protect our heart against ever seeing this as sort of a ritual. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not a ritual. It's a means of drawing personally to the throne of grace mm-hmm. and. Uh, receiving from God the blessing we need on the basis of faith in Jesus. That's right. Well, thank you again for joining us here at Revive the Drive. We are thankful that we can uh, share God's Word with you. 